Welcome to a podcast of Wyoming Chronicle, where we tell the stories of Wyoming in a weekly program of interviews with newsmakers, artists, innovative thinkers, and unique Wyoming personalities. To learn more, visit us at wyomingpbs.org. Three ninety nine. Perhaps the best-known grizzly bear in history is almost 26 years old, but because of human-caused interactions south of Grand Teton National Park, her future is now in question. We'll gather perspectives from children's author Shelby Huff and Jackson Hole News & Guide reporter Mike Koshmerl next on Wyoming Chronicle. Funding for this program is made possible in part by the Wyoming Humanities Council, helping Wyoming take a closer look at life through the humanities, thinkwhy.org, and by the members of the Wyoming PBS Foundation. Thank you for your support. I'm Craig Blumenshine from Wyoming PBS, and welcome to this Wyoming Chronicle. We're going to visit about Bear 399 from perhaps two different perspectives, maybe one through the eyes maybe of a child, and then also present-day topics that are impacting perhaps the most famous bear or the most famous grizzly bear maybe of all time. And with us to start the discussion is Shelby Huff. Shelby is the author of the book, Not Like Other Bears. Shelby, welcome to Wyoming Chronicle. Thanks for having me. Shelby, you've worked as a park ranger, an Alaskan bear guide, a wildlife guide in Grand Teton and Yellowstone National Parks, where you often encountered 399. You've been a freelance writer and you've written about bears for numerous publications. So the quick question, the obvious question is, is why write the book and why write it as it may be a children's book? Um, well, because 399, her story is so unique. I wrote the book to make her story more accessible. As a wildlife guide, I saw a lot of visitors that would encounter her on the side of the road um, and think they just got lucky and they maybe didn't understand the significance of her presence. So my hope with this book was that I could, if I could get readers to care about one bear, that it would encourage them to care about all bears or certainly become curious about them. Um, the story of 399 and grizzlies in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem is one of the best stories I know. Um, so I also wrote the book to inspire change um, for the narrative that we have on grizzlies. Um, you know, of course, they're capable of being aggressive, powerful, and destructive, but they aren't always these things. Um, in fact, they rarely are. Shelby, you, you've said that you hope your, your book is a heartwarming, I'm going to quote here, a heartwarming picture book about one bear's extraordinary journey. And I guess we all are on pins and needles with our fingers crossed here that it remains a heartwarming story, but I guess we're all not sure. What have you thought about um, today, as, as um, you know, your book is out there, it's a, a wonderful gift for kids who are going to be reading this thing, yet also there's some really important things going on in the, in the news. What are your thoughts about whether or not this remains a heartwarming story? You've had to have thought about that. You know, yeah, absolutely. I think for people who have been watching her for years, this is what's happening now is the situation that everyone has been fearing um, for her to be in more conflict with humans, um, 
their food, their livestock feed, um, their beehives and whatnot. Um, and now, um, you know, up until now, she has had rather predictable behavior in locations. And now she's traveling to places that she hasn't before. And um, it's she's not as protected as she would be in the park. And I think everyone's just kind of waiting on pins and needles to see how this plays out. Um, it's possible her fame will work in her favor here because they do have such a, a large team monitoring her and her cubs to ensure that these conflicts don't keep happening. Um, but yeah, we're just gonna have to wait and see what happens. You wrote this um, as, a, as, a, as a children's book. Wonderful illustrations. What were you hoping to convey through the illustrations in the book? Um, you know, they're beautiful, they're, they're, they're well done. Um, I hope this story has as beautiful of, of an ending here as we've just talked about. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I wanted the pictures to be playful yet realistic. Um, and I wanted 399 to be depicted in a gentle, non-threatening manner. So yeah, the publisher had a few in-house illustrators um, and they all did sample drawings of bears. And I went with the one I went with just, yeah, completely exceeded my hopes and expectations for it. And they did, they did a wonderful job. Shelby, what feedback are you getting from people who have read your book and who have read your book to kids? Have you gotten feedback from either young, young adults or young children or their parents? Yeah, um, you know, a lot of the people reading it um, are people who were not familiar with 399's story before this. Um, so it's been really encouraging to hear people who read the book, um, whether as a kid or as an adult, who start following 399 in the news and getting more, yeah, just interested or involved in grizzly conservation or what's going on in Grand Teton and Yellowstone with them these days. When you encounter people from probably all over the country, if not all over the world, when you were spending time um, as, a, as a bear guide, um, what were you hearing from them? Um, many people, I think, maybe, you know, to use what a Tom Mang Mangelson reference here, a Winnie the Pooh relationship, others understand the awesome power um, that grizzly bears um, can bring on humans and everything in between. So what were you, what did you hear from people as you were guiding them, as you were um, describing to them what grizzly bears are? Yeah, um, it was very much, um, you know, before we really started the day, people were on either one end of the spectrum or the other, if they really wanted to see a grizzly bear or if they really didn't. Um, and I think, you know, I could tell them as much as I wanted about grizzly bears, but what really showed them what grizzlies were like was seeing one, encountering one, and especially in Grand Teton and Yellowstone, you're most likely going to encounter one in a very safe manner when you're with a crowd or certainly a group of people um, from a distance, hopefully. Um, and perhaps you, you might even see them in your, your vehicle, but I think for the most part, people coming there, they don't have experience being in grizzly country. They you know, it's just not relevant to their life. So most of what they're learning is new. Most of what they've heard about previously is simply, you know, 
not true about grizzly bears. Um, yeah, that they are, yeah, just these giant beasts capable of massive distraction. And, you know, they didn't, yeah, it was really um, a really great opportunity just to teach people about what grizzly bears really act like and for them and to show them that as well. Well, we want to continue this discussion about um, Bear 399. It's an important discussion that's certainly ongoing, Shelby. Thanks to you. Congratulations on your book. I think it'll be a wonderful read for parents and their children here, not just in the upcoming holiday season, but perhaps um, year-round. So we encourage readers to, to um, uh, find the book. It's available pretty much everywhere. Um, best wishes on your future. And really, we appreciate your time joining us on Wyoming Chronicle. Thank you for having me. Up next is Mike Koshmerl from the Jackson Hole News and Guide. He'll bring us up to date with all things happening right now with Grizzly Bear 399. That's next. Stay with us. And as we continue our discussion about Bear 399, it's my pleasure to be joined by Mike Koshmerl. Mike is a reporter for the Jackson Hole News and Guide and he's reported on the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, wildlife, wildlands, and the agencies that manage them since 2012. Mike, welcome to Wyoming Chronicle. Uh, hey, thanks for having me there. Mike, there's so much to cover um, with perhaps, as we said in our open, maybe the most famous grizzly bear of them all. Um, we haven't really covered the stats of bear 399, almost 26 years old, which is really unusually old for a grizzly bear. Um, she's ridden many successful cubs, um, in 2020, she had quadruplets. Um, she weighs almost 400 pounds, stands almost seven feet tall. Um, but untypical for a grizzly, she's existed near humans, and herein lies her recent problems. Mike, bring us up to date, if you would, on really now, she's, from my perspective, and correct me if I'm wrong, in a struggle for survival here, she heads towards hibernation. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair characterization. She's uh, in unprecedented dire straits. I think most people in this community would agree. Um, uh, kind of the backstory to where, she, so I guess I'll just say right off the bat, we, this is uh, Wednesday, November 10th. And last night, Grizzly 399, like literally walked down the streets of Jackson, Wyoming. Um, through the middle of town, escorted by uh, police officers and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service agents. Um, and uh, it, I didn't hear of her getting into any trouble, so to speak, you know, like getting in a garbage or anything. And, and I think she was more or less made it through town uh, around 10, 10 or something p.m. Uh, unscathed and and was you know is often more wild landscapes now but there's a there's a big backstory to you know her coming to a place like that and being very comfortable which which is a product of her upbringing um and uh uh her uh learning to live uh, you know with with thousands of people uh gawking at her in grand teton national park uh just a complete lack of fear of of people um but um she uh uh, hasn't had to deal with places like Jackson uh, for most of uh, her life, uh, her, her 25 years, because uh, she's largely stayed up in the National uh, Park, uh, Grand Teton, and, and uh, her den is actually just to the north uh, east of there in the Bridger Teton National Forest. And for the first uh, 
uh, 24 years of her life that, you know, she more or less was in those protected uh, landscapes. And uh, starting in uh, uh, 2020, in the fall of 2020, a little over a year ago, she uh, came out um, and she, uh, I still remember vividly, you know, here in Grizzly 399 and her four cubs at that time, young cubs were uh, passing Calico restaurant on the, on the road to Jackson Hole Mountain Resort. Um, and, and lo and behold, that was the beginning of a month long uh, sojourn in the Southern part of the Valley. Uh, she did get into some trouble, I'd say. Uh, she uh, exploited, uh, got into livestock feed. She wiped out a beekeeper's colony. This is all last year. Uh, she got into some compost, uh, but mostly was uh, kind of living uh, without conflict and just in an atypical area for her. Uh, and then, and then she, you know, she went back north, uh, to, went to the national park, went to the den around New Year's uh, 2021. And then this year has been a lot more fraught. Uh, she has spent more time outside of the national park than within it uh, since summer. In the early part of the year, she was in the park, not having issues. Um, but uh, she, uh, a couple weeks ago, a Wyoming Game and Fish Department biologist who was very involved in monitoring her until the US Fish and Wildlife Service, the federal agency came in and took over. Uh, this Wyoming Game Fish Department biologist, a, a local carnivore guy named Mike Boyce, you know, said he's seen a noticeable behavior shift. Um, and she went from maybe opportunistically taking advantage of, uh, you know, grain or something she might stumble across to really actively seeking it out. Um, and I, I, I want to say there's been they reported that there had been at least 10 conflicts they documented, including five uh, beekeepers colonies that she has uh, gotten into and eaten honey out of. I didn't even know there were five beekeepers in Teton County. So she's obviously very good at sniffing these out um, and uh, has been spending time farther and farther from her normal uh, range. Uh, time down by Hoback Junction, um, uh, last weekend, uh, she was, uh, so U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service came in about, it was about two to three weeks ago, came in and they basically are just following her. Um, they recognize this is a, a special bear, uh, loved by people around the world. Um, and, and, you know, frankly, hasn't really done anything to deserve being punished. Uh, you know, she's habituated, absolutely. Uh, but she, you know, she hasn't been aggressive to people. She hasn't been super destructive necessarily. Uh, and so they're, they're treating her completely differently than they would a normal bear. And they've come in uh, and they uh, uh, just last weekend uh, kind of made a, a, took a big step towards successfully monitoring her until she uh, goes back North. Uh, and, and what they did is they attached a couple GPS collars to her, cubs uh, who they successfully trapped and near the site of a road killed animal that they were eating on. And Mike, there's a, there's a lot of, I guess, um, there's a PR war kind of going on about that, right? About how this bear is managed, that that was something that 
necessarily didn't need to be done, some are saying, and some are saying absolutely that needs to be done. It allows us to predict where she's going to be, where she has been, since we can better educate. Give me a sense, Mike, if you will, the local reaction to what's going on today, how this bear is being managed. Is it contentious? Is the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service supported in what they're doing? What's what's being felt on yeah. the ground? Um, yeah, you know, I feel like with grizzly bears, you all, nobody is ever always on the same page. There's certainly a division in opinions. Um, there has been uh, criticism, including from probably one of um, uh, Grizzly 399's most famous documenter, uh, Tom Mangelson. He's a wildlife photographer in the valley here. Uh, and he was not happy with how um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service handled that situation. Um, he thought it was ex an, extraordinary, an extraordinary risk that they were taking by capturing some of the family. And then Grizzly 399 was not successfully captured. She uh, kind of headed off for the hills and was uh, evidently about a half mile away with one of her cubs while three of her cubs were captured. And just to interject, Mike, she had been captured before, correct? And she may have remembered this might not have been a nice trailer to go into, correct? Yeah, she, uh, man, I wish I had these numbers off the top of my head. Uh, they, she was captured many times early in her life. Uh, I mean, I, I want to say maybe double digits, many, many captures. And she's worn GPS collars in the past, um, uh, but hasn't for quite a few years. And in the last like 10 or 15 years has only been captured once. And that's, I don't think that's unusual. I think that these bear, these bears are very intelligent animals and they do learn, you know, even if there's a hunk of elk meat or whatever it is in there that they, I'm sure, you know, want to eat, they, they, they have, must have a little voice in their head telling them it's not worth it. Um, Cause you talk, yeah. You, you talk about the bear's intelligence though. And I think that in long-term, that's the big fear because perhaps it's may not impact Bear three and Bear 399's life, and that is her research number, by the way, for viewers that might be wondering why she's called Bear 399. But she now has been teaching her cubs that, you know what, this livestock feed tastes pretty good, or this honey tastes pretty good. And that's the fear, right? In now what the next chapter will bring to the Jackson Valley. A absolutely. And, 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 you know, yeah, to illustrate that, all you really have to do is look at her offspring and her, her one of her, the bears that uh, is an equally kind of famous bear in this area is called Grizzly 610. This is a, a adult female born to Grizzly 399. Um, and so, for example, this year, Grizzly 610 had two cubs. Um, that were two and a half years old, which is how old Grizzly 399's cubs will be next year. And at that age, the nat kind of just in grizzly bear biology, what they do is they just push, push them off. They're ready to um, uh, go into estrus and breed again. And, and so she pushed these sick Grizzly 610, uh, pushed these two cubs off. Neither of those cubs is alive today because of uh, repeated conflict in residential areas primarily. Um, and 
you know, Grizzly 399, I could give the exact same example from her previous litter. Uh, she had two cubs in her previous litter. One of those bears uh, got into conflict uh, south of Grand Teton National Park, was uh, relocated across uh, the ecosystem to kind of to north uh, west of Cody. Uh, and the other, the other uh, remaining bear um, uh, was uh, captured and killed about a month ago uh, after re repeated, repeated, repeated conflicts. So yes, when, when she is teaching four cubs that this is how you get food, uh, you know, bear managers, all they have to do is look, look at what they do every year. And they realize that it's it, it not bode well for their future. Uh, and it's certainly, uh, I, you know, I fully expect that all, all of these bears or, or most of them certainly, uh, that she's raising right now will run into issues next year. Uh, so, so do the biologists I've spoken with. What are we learning from Bear 399, Mike? I mean, that's a, that's a very general question, but there has to be some takeaways here that are piling up um, because of A, her fame, um, B, because of all of the interactions now that are well-documented, all of the history that you've just um, shared with our viewers. What, what are we learning here about bear-human interaction and specifically with the thousands of people that live right where you live? What are we learning? You know, one one thought that comes to mind is, uh, although this is very contentious and fraught, and it might not work out, um, I I see Grizzly three ninety nine as like a great uniter. I mean, she's she. I, I see it, advocacy groups that you know it's their job to be critical of agencies and and watchdog what they do. I see them lauding the great efforts they're making. Uh, I'm thinking of Wyoming Wildlife Advocates. That's a, a group based here in Jackson. And they are, yeah, lauding the effort to collar her and, and keep her alive. Uh, I mean, that's what they're trying to do. And, they, and they're putting, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service putting pretty extraordinary resources. I mean, they don't have employees based in Jackson. They are dispatching people to be here around the clock to follow a grizzly bear around to keep her alive because she's so loved by people around the world. Uh, and I don't know, that's heartening to me that, um, that people recognize this effort, the agency's making, that the agency's making the effort, the agency's clearly treating this bear differently. And so, you know, I don't know what the outcome in, is here, but uh, just, just all the effort that I see uh, is, is really, uh, I think like a good, a positive step for grizzly bear management more generally. Um, and, and is maybe uniting people, which is, you know, something that certainly we can use in this day and age. Um, another, another thought that comes to mind is, uh, and this has been just straight up called out by people like the uh, grizzly bear recovery coordinator for the federal government, uh, Hillary Cooley, that Jackson hole is way behind the times when it comes to, having regulations that allow these bears to coexist in developed areas. Um, we have some bear standards uh, that are designed to reduce conflict and, and, and technically require bear proof trash cans in a lot of the valley, but you know, those trash cans fall into disrepair. Um, enforcement is bad. 
Uh, there are also parts of town like of the community, like the town of Jackson, where Grizzly 99 walked through last night, where, you know, at any one time, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of trash cans all around her. And fortunately, she hasn't really learned that's a food source. I, I believe she's gotten to garbage once that they've confirmed. Um, but man, if she did, that would be a really, really difficult uh, attractant, as they call it. To, uh, to kind of uh, get her away from just because it's everywhere. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I think that the local elected officials here are well aware that they uh, kind of need to take action and shore up our local regulations um, because Grizzly 399 is attracting a lot of attention to this issue, but it does happen year after year after year with more anonymous bears. A lot of those bears end up dead. Um, and grizzly bears are expanding their range in Jackson Hole and throughout the region. Uh, more and more often, these are going to be grizzlies and not black bears that we need to learn to try to figure out a way to coexist with. Um, and so I feel like there's definitely uh, some pressure to yeah, get these regulations uh, uh, kind of shored up and on the books and, and enforced so that a situation like Grizzly 399 coming through Jackson is not just going to be a guaranteed uh, uh, way for her to get in trouble and, and worse. So what you're saying is perhaps some interesting policy debates in front of maybe the Jackson City Council and the Teton County Commissioners are. Yeah, that'll be coming up. up, probably not realistically till this winter, but I would expect to see changes to what's on the books by the time bears come out of their dens in the spring. Mike, I'm not sure that many other grizzly bears have their own Facebook, Twitter, Instagram accounts, fan clubs, you name it like this bear has, um, but uh, certainly I think the eyes of uh, maybe, <laughs> it's odd to say it, but the eyes of the country, if not many across the globe are on Jackson Hole right now, kind of watching here to see um, when and if this bear makes it to hibernation, which I was surprised to learn isn't until usually January or so. Yeah, I think there's some variability. Um, it, interestingly, usually, females with cubs uh, my understanding like are the first to go into their den ordinarily but grizzly 399 is an extraordinary bear and she has learned that there are these late season uh cow elk hunts uh in a couple places grand teton national park uh there's it's unusual that there's a hunt there but there is it's part of the legislation that created the park and uh the national elk refuge uh and in these late season hunts, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cow elk and calf elk are killed. And out of each elk comes, you know, 40, 50 pounds of, of guts and organs. And it's a very rich food source. Uh, and Grizzly 399, certainly I've seen her out there doing this. And uh, other bears have learned to capitalize on that food source. Not to mention, you know, there is a fair number of elk that uh, get shot, injured, not recovered by a hunter, and that's hundreds of pounds of meat. Um, and so collectively, you know, there's just thousands, if not tens of thousands of just biomass out there that these bears can capitalize on. And that has kept her out last year, it kept her out. Yeah. Until into January, um, which is very late for a bear. You know, she was trudging through deep snow to get up to her den, which was oh gosh, 30 miles north of where most of this hunting takes place. Uh, and actually that was a story in a sight in itself. I mean, there were people 
following her as she basically paralleled the highway, trudging through snow with these grizzly cubs on the way to go sleep. And, uh, and then she was gone for months um, and came back out. And we've seen how it's gone since she's been out. It's been, it's been a rough day. Well, Mike, I, I appreciate the background. I'm not sure that um, there are many journalists who have um, invested the time and resources that you, than you have in covering Bear 399. So Mike Koshmerl from the Jackson Hole News and Guide and Shelby Huff earlier in the show who sent some time with us to maybe think about this from a children's perspective or at least a young adult's perspective. I think that this has been very valuable for our viewers. So thank you both for joining us on Wyoming Chronicle. Thanks for having me, Greg. Funding for this program is made possible in part by the Wyoming Humanities Council, helping Wyoming take a closer look at life through the humanities, thinkwhy.org, and by the members of the Wyoming PBS Foundation. Thank you for your support.